A quick word about what drives British foreign policy. Uh, we have three political parties in Britain. And I'm talking now about policy with regard to the Middle East, but it applies everywhere, I guess. We have a new government, so it's relevant, I think. Uh, we have three political parties in Britain, uh, the Labour, Conservative and Liberal. Labour Party is conflicted with regard to the Middle East, traditionally allied with Jewish socialists, but many in the modern Labour movement feel a strong call to support the Balfour Declaration, uh, which favours Palestinian statehood. And indeed, that is um, the recognition of Palestine as a state is part of Labour Party policy. Um, and if we had a Labour government, then we would be the first major Western government of uh, the big powers in the West um, to recognize Palestinian statehood. So, interesting. Um, Conservatives are also conflicted. Traditionally, friends of Israel, you won't find uh, a member of the cabinet in, in Britain who would say otherwise, uh, but also with a strong strand of Arabism amongst their grandees. Um, liberals have no clear direction, uh, but just muddle along, uh, but they are pro-peace in a very strong way, which is important. Um, so these uh, three parties, of course, are, are, are members of parliament and uh, are drawn from these three political parties uh, by and large. And um, that's the dynamic we have to deal with. The, it's confused and confusing. And it's hard to be anything but confused when you step into an arena like the Middle East where people say, I am right and they are wrong endlessly, uh, where everybody is polemical. And Britain has tended to smash its way through the Middle East of late. Well, it always did, didn't it, historically? But um, often in the lead in front of America, classically, for example, the classic modern example has been uh, into in making Libya a failed state. Now that, like Brexit, was one of David Cameron's great achievements. Um, Britain was in the lead. I just want to remind you again and again, Britain was in the lead in terms of dismantling Libya and the consequent uh, droves of refugees across the Mediterranean, many of them drowned in the Med, the others languishing in prison camps on the North African coast. That's all a consequence of David Cameron's action. Nobody else. He, he created this as British Prime Minister. So it's amazing what, what a British Prime Minister can achieve. Um, he didn't just create Brexit. He also created the, the, um, the big swathe of refugees across the Med and the misery of Libya today. Um, you can say, oh, you had to get rid of Gaddafi just like we had to get rid of Saddam. Of course we did, or did we? I don't know. We certainly didn't have to leave things as we did. If we take these actions, take these responsibilities, then we have a responsibility as a kind of colonial power because we are acting like a colonial power. We're being big brother and telling people we know better than you. So we have a responsibility. You don't just go in and destroy a country and then walk away. Um, the Middle East is riven by proxy wars with players motivated by blind hatred. Who do I mean? Saudi Arabia? Iran? Do I mean these? Israel? Do I mean Israel? Motivated by blind hatred? I mean, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? But 
I think a lot, to a large degree, it's not rational, the kind of anger that we see in international affairs. Um, Israel is both subject to and the creator of this kind of hatred. How can it be the creator? Well, it bombs quite widely these days, right down into Iraq. Uh, for good reason, you'd say, because the Iraqi Haishtashabi are building missiles. You've got to bomb them. Oh, okay, but there are consequences when you when your remit gets bigger and bigger. Um, and, of course, there are provocations. The Muslim Brotherhood, Daesh, and so on, all these little provocations that have arisen and keep arising. Um, big fleas. Well, my mother-in-law used to say, big fleas have little fleas upon their backs to bite them. Little fleas have smaller fleas, and so ad infinitum. And it's so true. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to say what's the right policy for a country like Britain in the Middle East. What he can say is what's wrong. It's wrong to say you are irrelevant. We're clearly very relevant. We are the sixth largest economy in the world, one of the permanent five on the United Nations. Maybe we shouldn't be, but we are. Um, and we are one of the few big powers that constantly meddles in the Middle East. Uh, I'm saying, therefore, that the big meddlers are the USA, Russia, Britain, and France possibly in that order. The USA, Russia, Britain, and France. China, no. Um, China meddles economically and may become a dangerous military power in the future. But at the moment, uh, it's not meddling militarily in the Middle East. The USA, Russia, Britain, and France are really uh, big regional, big meddlers there. And the regional meddlers are very clear too. Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Israel, Egypt, and the United Arab Emirates are the um, big regional players. Iraq is coming up. Uh, but these are the ones. Iran, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Israel, Egypt, and the United Arab Emirates are the, are the ones. Um, and Britain, of course, of all these meddlers, has a historic responsibility because we started it all up to a point. Um, and in my subjective view, all of the meddlers, all of them, make more problems than they mend when they interfere in other countries. Um, so, maybe, uh, how do we build a foreign policy that tr translates? I mean, we need we need some sort of principles, some sort of ideals that translate into policy, and that policy needs to translate into action, um, preferably action that doesn't do too much damage. Um, oh, one of which one of the, one of the policies the NCF Next Century Foundation has always advocated is talking to everybody and that's a dangerous one of course you remember Corrie Ten Boom I mean it's very difficult isn't it Corrie Ten Boom was the uh, the she was at Ravensbrook concentration camp she was a Christian in Ravensbrook um, and without going into the history of the whole thing but all her family were killed in Ravensbrook um, uh, along with many of the well the multitude of Jews of course but uh, in 1947 uh, Corrie was the only one of her family to survive and she was talking in Germany uh, to a uh, a group I think a church group but anyway um, and about forgiveness and at the back of the at the back of the room she spotted one of her prison camp guards and after the talk he came up to her and held out his hand and she had a real, obviously, a real tension. 
uh, but eventually uh, held out her hand and shook his and said, I forgive you, brother. Now, was that wrong or was that right? Um, obviously, there is a need for retribution. Um, it was right for her. Is it right for everyone? Judge lest you should be judged. Um, is it right for international affairs? International affairs are too often based on punishing those that punish us. You hit me, I hit you. Uh, the evil that men do, uh, we should fight tooth and nail, decry, stop it happening. But now and always we should, I think, reach out a hand to the men that do it. Now, are there exceptions? Yes. I mean, the, the great evils of Nazism or, or, or Daesh in modern times, ISIS. Uh, perhaps we shouldn't engage with people of that kind. I mean, how can you, as a general rule, engage with Nazis, engage with Daesh? But, um, but with those exceptions, I think one should engage if we can. Uh, with the idea of the idea of closing embassies and uh, stopping diplomatic relations is generally unproductive. Um, and we need to try and talk to all from Israel to Iran, Iran to from Hamas to Saudi Arabia, from Syria to Moscow, from Istanbul to Washington. You'd say we do. We don't, actually. Uh, we don't always. I mean, clearly we don't talk to the present Syrian government. We, we are, um, uh, we're very cautious about these issues, cautious about which factions our diplomats talk to, um, no, it's it's difficult, and and you'd say, well, that's right. We shouldn't talk to the Syrians. Well, maybe, I'm not so sure. Um, of course, there's a need for justice. Justice is too often an excuse for retribution, though. Uh, we don't have historic justice. We want we want fair play, really. What I take, Paul Amster, is a Welsh expression, a Welsh motto: "Fair play at all times." Um, it's a rugby motto, really, but but it applies. Uh, we need fair play, um, not so much justice, not historic justice. Otherwise, we'll never come to an end to the whole thing. Um, and we need to believe in freedom and peace and things that are in the best interests of the United Kingdom. If we're talking about British foreign policy or the United States, if we're talking about American. Um, Trump is right when he says America first. That's fair enough. But we need to employ the best resources of the United Kingdom or the United States to foster an end to poverty and an end to chaos. And we need to do that without too much interference at, at, uh, in terms of overthrowing governments. The big enemy is chaos. An old Syrian once told me they could cope with war, they could cope with peace, but chaos they couldn't deal with. Chaos was evil, according to him. I think that's true. The Middle East has had too much chaos. It needs to settle down. That's the British foreign policy that I appeal for. Less meddling. Allow the Middle East, allow the dust to settle. Okay. God bless you. Thanks.